Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. This is Easter 2019. The question for you all to start off with is this. What did you do to celebrate Easter growing up? Enjoy. Thank you all for enduring frigid California temperatures. It is 61 degrees. We deal with this, right? 15 degree weather temperature swings, it's difficult. Uh, my, my five-year-old, he asked me a lot of questions these days that I don't necessarily know what to do with. So the other day he says, well, what's after us? The monsters? I was like, what do you mean? He's like, after us. I was like, after our family, like who? He's like, humans. He's like, you know, there was the dinosaurs, they're extinct, now there's us, what's next? Monsters? I was like, oh, it's it's an interesting question. And I was thinking about that a little bit because I would have never asked that question when I was five years old. Like I was already trained for rapture thinking, my friends, right? (laughs) I remember being in my grandma's brown Buick, left behind playing Kurt Cameron's voice. Oh yeah. My soul was ready, people. Anyone ever live in terror because of rapture stuff? Oh, there you go. Praise God this morning. There you go. Just so you know, if the rapture happens this morning, none of you are making it, so. But we're gonna have a great time nonetheless. I think that's fun. The other one that Caden loves to get into is either Santa Claus or God questions. Those are fun. Uh, The Santa Claus ones, he asked me last Christmas, he said, Dad, is Santa Claus real? And I said, Caden, I would only tell you the truth. I'll never lie to you. I told you this. Santa Claus is not real. I'm sorry. He sits there and he stares at me. He's thinking through it in his head. And he says, no. You're wrong. Santa Claus is real. I was like, okay. So then he proceeds to ask me questions about who's on the naughty list. And he's like, well, I don't quite, I think Santa Claus and God are the same person in my five-year-old's brain. Kind of like a lot of your brains. Um, Who's on the naughty list? Is God, you know, going to take care of all this stuff? And he's like, well, you always tell me that everybody's good. So if everybody's good and God loves everybody, then how is anybody on the naughty list? That doesn't make any sense. I was like, I don't know what to do with any of this right now. This is too theologically deep for me. And then I shared this story the other week and I'm sharing it again because it really inspired me as I was thinking about how do I talk about resurrection in Los Angeles in 2019? How does this story actually matter to your life? And how many Easter sermons have you actually heard that you even remember anymore? And so Caden asked me this question about a month ago. We're at the dinner table. And whenever we're at the dinner table, we always take turns praying. And some of you may have remembered this story and it was his turn to pray. And so he says, he stands up on his chair. He says, you always say that God is all around us. Watch. Hey, God, nothing. God didn't answer at all. He's like, and then you tell me that God's inside of me. Watch. Hey, God, nothing. So he said, well, where's God? I was like, oh, 
That's a really interesting question. <laughs> and I didn't want to give him some cheap answer, and I've been thinking about that question a lot, to be honest. And I think the, the beauty of a five-year-old is that the five-year-old's not scared to ask the question that we're all asking. And the question that I think a lot of us are asking sometimes are, can I trust God? Can God be trusted? I know that's a little bit of a twist where you thought I was going on Easter morning for resurrection, but I think that's what the Easter story talks to us about. It's this ultimate example of God showing up and saying, I know that you've had some expectations here. I know that you thought I was gonna show up in a certain way. And what I wanna teach you is I'm still gonna show up, even in the darkest of times, even in the places where you're most hurting, where you're most broken, where there's most pain, even where there's death, even in the places in your life where you stand there just like me and say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Even in those places, I'm gonna show up. And what this God does is this God takes dead things and makes life. This God takes broken things and reclaims it. This God brings about resurrection, not just in a hope to come that Kirk Cameron has promised us, but in this life. How many of us, if I said, raise your hand, you could speak of your own brokenness and your own pain or the suffering that you've gone through or the betrayal of people in your life, sometimes even the closest people to you. How many of us have been there in the rest of your lives? And the story of resurrection is this God takes even that and there is hope and something new can be made. Think about this a little bit as we get into this idea of can God be trusted? Is that for the Israelites, for thousands of years, they were always the minority. They were a people group who lived in the ancient world amidst all the ancient superpowers. There was the Egyptians and the Persians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Greeks and the Romans. And every time a new superpower came onto the stage, they oppressed the Hebrews. And if you're the people of God, you're asking yourself that question all the time. Can God be trusted? We're the chosen people. We're the promised ones and we keep enduring this. So now we're around the time of Jesus and the Israelites are anticipating something. They have an expectation of what can be next. Just like we would in our deepest pain, in our deepest hurt, in our deepest brokenness, in the seasons of life that we have death, don't we all have expectations for God? Don't we have all, all have expectations that God's gonna show up and fix this thing? That's what we hope for. And there's nothing wrong with that. And Jesus shows up onto the stage and there is an expectation for who this Messiah or who this Christ could be. And if you're reading along in the gospels, by the way, spoiler alert, Jesus dies. Should we talk about Game of Thrones and do some spoiler alerts real quick? Yeah, no, everyone's keeping up. Cause I just want to warn you every week if you're not keeping up with Game of Thrones, I will for you, okay? <laughs> and so there's this moment where Jesus has died and there's this anticipation and then there's this waiting and then Jesus raises from the grave. And I know that we're all here 2000 years after the fact because we say, praise God for that moment. Praise God for the reality that even death can be resurrected. But what I wanna bring you back into is that moment 2000 years ago, where for some people it's, I had a different expectation of what was gonna happen here. 
I had an expectation that a king was going to show up and finally rescue us from all of these things. And the power of resurrection is that resurrection reorients our expectations in this world. Resurrection reorients sometimes unrealistic expectations that we have in this world. Resurrection brings us into a reality where God shows us, not just in some life to come, although we have hope for that reality, but in this life now, that this God can take dead things and bring about new life. So with that in your minds, let's read the resurrection story from Luke chapter 24. Follow along with me. On the first day of the week, very early in the morning, the women took the spices they had prepared and went to the tomb. And why did they do this? Because they were expecting that Jesus had died. They had an expectation that this king that we were hoping for, who was going to do something different, who was finally going to rescue us from the superpowers and the structures of this world, right? This person was now dead. And so we're going to go honor his dead body. Because even though that didn't happen, we're going to take care of him in the way that we know how to. They found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. By the way, if you were watching Game of Thrones right now, you would be shocked, right? This is not what you were expecting. You were not expecting that Jon Snow would be resurrected. You didn't see that coming. You are not expecting this in this moment, in this story. This is big news. God is about to reorient our expectations for what reality can be. And we have to enter into this story with some fresh eyes if we're ever going to enter into this story for it to mean something personal, for it to heal us and transform us and mature us in our lives as well. While they were wondering about this, suddenly two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning stood beside them. In their fright, the women bowed down with their faces to the ground, but the men said to them, why do you look for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. Remember how he told you while he was still with you in Galilee, the son of man must be delivered over to the hands of sinners, be crucified, and on the third day be raised again. Then they remembered his words. When they came back from the tomb, they told all these things to the 11 and to the others. And it was, it was the women who were at the tomb, right? It was Mary Magdalene. Joanna Mary, the mother of James, and the others with them who told this to the apostles. Let's get this story very clearly in our minds. All of the dudes, right, who are supposed to be like the fathers of the church, they were not there, my friends. It was the ladies who held the thing down. And everyone in 2019 said, duh. We know better. Time's up. There you go. To the white man on stage. That's funny. Okay. So, you know, historically, but they did not believe the women because their words seemed to them like nonsense. <laughs> I'm not going to add any commentary there. Peter, however, got up and ran to the tomb. Bending over, he saw the strips of linen lying by themselves, and he went away wondering to himself what had happened. Right? It was the ladies who were like, ah, this thing's all about faith. This thing's all about wonder. This thing's all about mystery. I don't have all of the answers. It's about faith and not certitude. And it was the dude who was like, strips of linen. I don't know. This is my Peter voice. I don't know. It's not a... Peter is now in Neanderthal. He did 23 in me. He's 3% Neanderthal. I don't, okay? I don't know what to tell you. So if we're going to talk about resurrection this morning, if we're going to talk about this bigger question in our actual lives, can God actually be trusted, then we need to talk about a few other things. And so we need to talk about expectations. We need to talk about hashtag me too. We need to talk about this reality of 
don't tell me, you actually need to show me. And if we're going to do that, then we're going to talk about the Jesus story. We're going to talk about my story. And then we're going to talk about our story. And if we do all of that well, we'll sprinkle that with some LeBron James and some Queen Bay, my friends. Sound good on a Sunday morning? Let's do this thing. So we all have expectations, and the Israelites had some expectations as well. And even the Gospel of Luke is this book about expectations. And sometimes when we get to the end of a gospel like the book of Luke, we forget of everything that came before it. Luke is an incredibly interesting gospel compared to even the other gospels because Luke talks about women and the marginalized and the poor more than any of the other books. Even the beginning of the gospel of Luke is what? It's God showing up to a few women in Elizabeth and Mary and saying, salvation in this world is coming to you. That was an unexpected story. That is not where you thought that the king of the universe is going to show up to to some ladies in a podunk town saying, the savior of the world is coming through you. But that's an important place to start for us to get to the important place where we end. That the gospel of Luke is constantly taking us on this road, literally a road in the gospel that Jesus is constantly walking down. And in this gospel, we go from the story of Mary and of Elizabeth and of Jesus being born into the world. And then we see Jesus on a road right away. In the Gospel of Luke, it's the only gospel story where we see Jesus as an adolescent, that Jesus is in the temple, right? Talking with all of the smart people of his day about who God is. And there's a reason for that, that the Gospel of Luke is inviting you into a journey. Why? Because your life is a journey. You have not arrived and you will never arrive. And that's the whole point. The whole point is the hardest job you'll ever have is to be human. And that the Gospel of Luke is taking us onto the story with Jesus because if we can see the Jesus story clearly, then we can begin to see our story clearly as well. And there's a framework that I want us to think about as we think about the Gospel of Luke. And we say it at New Abbey all of the time. And this is a giant shift in all of our lives, particularly if you grew up in good old evangelicalism like me. Anybody else? Praise God, my brothers and sisters, you know, here we go. In the world that I grew up in, the gospel story, the Jesus story, really all of Jesus's life was just kind of a waste. And it was all about the cross. And Jesus went to the cross because God was angry with me. And the lens that we've been given to see the gospels is this, is that Jesus came into the world to change God's mind about you. But the shift that we're making is this, that Jesus came into the world to change your mind about God. That's a big shift. And when you switch that lens in your life, now the rest of the gospels actually matter again. That every part of Jesus's story is Jesus trying to tap on our minds and our hearts saying, I'm trying to change your perspective about God. This God already radically loves you. This God already sees you as a son or daughter. This God already enjoys you. And that's why Jesus constantly throughout his ministry and his life is on this road hanging hanging out with sinners. Jesus is hanging out with women who 2,000 years ago did not have a voice. Jesus is constantly hanging out with people like Samaritans, people on the other side of the border, right? people who are marginalized, the queer community, you name it, that's where Jesus would be. And when you make that shift in your head, that Jesus didn't come just to placate God because God was so angry at you, 
but Jesus came to show you, right, this reality of God loves everyone, and I'm going to show you that and not tell you that. And so all along this journey in the road, I'm going to constantly be going to people who you think don't deserve the God message so that you can see if I really am the God man, then this is who God is. And God is always spending God's time, right, with people who think that they're God forsaken. Because the reality of our lives are that God shows up in the most God forsaken places. That God showed up with the sinners. God showed up with the marginalized. God showed up with the Samaritans. God showed up on the cross. Even when we thought there was nothing left, even when we thought, how will I ever make it past Dave? How will I ever get through this relationship? This is where my identity's been. I can't lose this job. What if my family doesn't accept me when I come out? What if I can't be honest with what kind of human being that I am? Even in those places where we feel like we have nothing left, the gospel story is reorienting our mind to this, that resurrection only happens in our deepest crucifixions. And that our crucifixion is not something to be avoided because if we avoid that, how will we ever taste deep of this beautiful resurrection? And it's only there. It's only in places of faith, not certitude, when we feel like we have nothing left when we feel like we don't have it figured out, when we show up to a tomb in unexpected ways, that's when God brings life. That's when God changes and reorients the story for all of us. But here's the deal. If the resurrection story is ever going to be meaningful to you or I, we have to take it from being a story that somehow happened in the past 2,000 years ago. That doesn't benefit us all that much. It's not some story where I'm up here trying to convince you of apologetics. Did anyone grow up in that church world? Oh God, I got so many of those sermons, right? Yes, I see some like smiles and guilty amen faces back there. Thank you. And then 20th century, that was what we were so worried about. We were scared that the world was getting smarter than us, right? There was this fear that science had answers and that we might prove that the world's not 6,000 years old, right? It's not, by the way, just in case you were wondering, yeah called math, 13.8 billion years. And the whole point of that is that we were so scared. And so we constantly talk about this Jesus story as it's somehow back there. And we distance ourselves from the power of resurrection. And what we need to do is always reclaim that in some way. We should always start with resurrection as being the story of Jesus. The hope of resurrection is this, is that even Jesus submitted to death, that even Jesus submitted to the will of God. And that Jesus, what he submitted to was powerlessness. Isn't that a trip as an American in 2019? That if you really want to find your life, you gotta? That's wild information. That's not what I was taught. If I want to find my life, I got to make another six figures. I got to put some money away in my stock 401k plan. And it's got to be up and to the right. Can I get an amen? <laughs> Are not the words that Jesus said. If you want to find your life, then you got to lose it. If you want to find your life, you got to be powerless. If you want to find your life, you got to surrender. That's the ultimate story of Jesus. And isn't that so counterintuitive that we hold that pain, that we hold that brokenness, 
and we let it do some work on us, and we keep entering through that path of transformation until it becomes resurrection. There is no other way. You can try to go around it, and you know who went around it the best in the Gospel of Luke? It was always the rich and the religious. Sometimes you have enough money to fly over those problems. And like, uh, you know, I've said, some people say that money can't buy you happiness. Try not to smile on a jet ski. <laughs> it's hard, you see what I'm saying? Yeah. There's some truth in there. And in the gospel stories, that's why one out of six people that Jesus is talking to is the rich for those reasons. And the other one out of six that people that Jesus is talking to in these stories are the religious. Because you have all of the certainty and the answers. And sometimes when you have that kind of power, you don't have to live into death and destruction, right? You don't have to live into brokenness and you want to bypass it. But the resurrection story is not that. The resurrection story is sit in your pain. It's actually your greatest teacher. And if we can learn powerlessness from Jesus, then we can enter into our stories. And it goes like this, that we might be powerless. That's what Jesus teaches us, but we're not helpless. That we have a part to play in this story. A friend of mine who's sitting here today is talking about marriage. And he said this idea, you know, I, I hate the idea when people say that a marriage is 50-50. No, it's not. You're bringing 50% of what you got into your marriage? No wonder that thing's horrible. Yeah? <laughs> That's actually really sad. I'm sorry to say that. Uh, you bring 100% of it, right? You bring 100, 100. That's how the God story works. That's how resurrection works, is that we trust that God is already bringing 100% of God's efforts into the story. And now for resurrection for us, we have to be powerless. We have to follow the way of Jesus, but we also have to do our part in this story. And that's what Beyonce has for us this morning, my people. Has anyone watched Homecoming? Look at this crowd, you know, it's beautiful. <laughs> Homecoming is a powerful story because of this, is that when you see people who have been wildly successful by every standard that our culture has, right, in Los Angeles in 2019, you realize that Beyonce just didn't show up magically onto the stage. She works harder than anybody. She's got her own story. She's got her own hurt. She's got a whole album about it, right? But at the end of the day, when it comes to time to do the work in her life for transformation and for healing and maturity, and sometimes just to put on a good show, she's willing to work harder than anybody else. And I think part of the story for us is that, is that we have to be powerless and we have to surrender and we have to submit. But also part of the story is this. When we say this in here all the time and we're gonna keep saying it, find community. If you are in need of resurrection in your life, know that you don't have to go this thing alone. Find other people in your life who wanna support you and care about you and send in, sit in your brokenness with you and together would you find life. Find a therapist. Paul's one if you're looking, everybody. Yeah. <laughs> And he's happy to talk to you about how you get engaged. <laughs> It'll be epic. <clears throat> Find a spiritual director, right? Pray, I know. Meditate. Trust that God's going to do God's work. But don't just sit around and be like, ah, I've just been sitting in this space. When will resurrection or new life ever come my way? Trust that God's doing God's part. And would you do your part? And then if we can do that, if we can move along this path of Luke, right, just like Jesus did, if we can go from our infancy, our immaturity, our lack of figuring it out, to our adolescence. By the way, the story of Jesus in the temple is getting lost. Why? Because we all get lost in our adolescence, people. And we all don't have it figured out. Sometimes mom and dad got to come find us. Thank God that there's other people in this world that are going to come find us. And then the story of Jesus is growing up, right? It's growing up in such a way 
that we have to keep practicing the surrender thing. Jesus didn't just go from the temple as like a nine-year-old all the way to the cross. And he's like, look at me, baby Jesus. No, that's weird. (laughs) You don't get to a cross without some maturity. You don't get to a point where you're going to surrender everything until you've done a little bit of internal work yourself. And then when you choose that, that's where God gets to do some of the best work in your life where we're participating fully with the work that God's doing and with the work that we're doing. That's the magic of Easter. That's the magic of resurrection. And it's not magic. It's not that God's just sprinkling pixie dust on us, that there's some real work to be had here. That this story again is this, is that God wants us to be on this journey of resurrection. It's just not just some moment that happened 2000 years ago because it is hard work. And that for God to change our minds about who God is, we have to be engaged in that process as well. And if we can be engaged in that process, then we move from the final piece of it being about Jesus' story to my story, to it being about our story. We're here outside in Pasadena on a Sunday at Easter in 2019 because it's been about our story. It hasn't just been about some people who experienced a resurrected Christ 2000 years ago. It's been about billions of people for thousands of years who have constantly encountered this resurrected Christ. And they've encountered this resurrected Christ in their real lives, right? They've encountered this resurrected Christ through their real pain and their real brokenness. And through that, they have real hope and real renewal and real reconciliation and real stories to share. And I know so many of you in this room, I have the luxury every week, right, of having coffees and beers with you or hearing your stories. I know that you're here today, even as a bunch of people who are deconstructing, asking bigger questions, trying to figure out this God thing in faith, and you still showed up to church on an Easter morning? Come on. Why? Because you too want to encounter something. You too want to experience something. The beauty of the story is you don't have to do any of that alone. Some of us are a little bit more advanced, like the women in this story. Some of us are just me. But we all need one another in it. And the power of resurrection is that God is going to constantly keep renewing and reconciling and making dead things come to life. And that happens through one another. It happens through being a part of the journey where we can learn to trust God again. And we learn to trust God again because we begin to revision the story of Jesus. Again, it's not where one, where Jesus comes to change God's mind about us but where Jesus comes to change our mind about God. And I end with this beautiful quote from Richard Rohr that goes like this. You are a son or daughter of a good and loving God, and the divine image is planted inherently and intrinsically within you. You cannot create it. You cannot manufacture it. You cannot earn it. You cannot achieve it. You cannot attain it. You cannot cumulatively work up to it. Do you know why? Because you already have it. That is the reason that the message was first called good news. We stand here on Easter morning because we all want to encounter and experience this reality. That we all start with this base reality of good news that we are loved by God. And that we trust that this God is waking us up to that reality, that this God is taking the dead, the broken, the hurting pieces of our life and making them new. And we do that through the life of Jesus. We do that through our own work. And we do that through community and love and spirit with one another. If you would find two or three or four people around you who are going to answer these questions, 
How can you reclaim trusting God this Easter? Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.